Well, welcome to Plugged In, a brand new 21-minute podcast for those seeking the insider scoop on what's strategically moving the financial services forward. You know, we're serving it up with the gonzo banker flair that you've come to expect from your friends at Cornerstone Advisors. So I'm your host, Al Dominic, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, the very famous Steve Williams, where together we're going to geek out on the intersection of ideas and opportunities happening across the banking landscape today. Uh, you know, think of us like your old school sports center hosts, where the two of us are going to try to hit the high notes with a little bit of wit and wisdom on things that you really want to know about today. So, Steve, nice to be checking in with you like we are. You betcha, Al. We're, we're always kind of crossing paths on the road. I know you've been a lot of places. I've been, uh, you know, Northern California, Florida, Connecticut, Chicago. How about yourself? Okay, so you're keeping the airlines in business. I think I'm doing the same because I've been to Canada twice. Uh, let's see where else. I saw you in Chicago, been in Nashville. I'm holding it down in D.C. right now. Of course, I was in the mothership, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where Cornerstone's headquartered. And along the way, we've had a chance to, you know, see and speak to some really interesting executives that are pushing the boundaries of what's possible right now. And I think you and I wanted to use this inaugural podcast to tee up five areas of growth and change that we think are really relevant to banks of any size and really to any organization that's looking to differentiate and diversify the way they do business. Let's let's rattle them off real quick and then let's tear into each one individually. Yeah, you got it. Because, you know, at Cornerstone, we like to talk about being wildly prescriptive. And, you know, this isn't like you're going back to school. We're going to give you the answers to the test before we even ask the question. So there's five things that Steve and I have really made note of over the last few months. And we'll talk about things like the Twin Towers of Transformation, why every basis point counts, how do you think about technology from a performance management standpoint, what this whole concept of scaling smart entails, and why it's so important today that we depoliticize ESG. So those are the five basic you know, points that we're going to you know, tease out in this 21-minute you know, podcast. Steve, do you think we could take a few minutes to talk about the first one, this Twin Towers of Transformation that we're seeing taking place? First, maybe by defining what the towers are and what they look like. You betcha. And I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to a great CEO, Mark Hardwork at First Merchants uh, Bank out of Muncie, Indiana. I was trading notes with him uh, earlier in the year. And he said, you know, I just got back from a CEO conference and every CEO is going through two transformations, a tech transformation and a talent transformation. And and it really dawned on me that those those two twin transformations is what we're all grappling with right now. And they're also very intertwined right now. As one example, Al, the unemployment rate for IT professionals is 1%. So everybody started demanding IT professionals after COVID right when, you know, we needed more of them. So we're struggling with that. And, and how do we, you know, have speed to market? How do we get going forward? But the other side is obviously workplace. And what does that next gen workplace uh, look like? So to try to transform from a technology and experience standpoint while you're trying to transform the workplace at the same time, as I like to say, easy as a golf swing. <laughs> you haven't seen my golf swing. It can get a little <laughs> funky. Um, you know, but this whole Twin Towers concept, I, I want to give apologies to anyone down in the Houston area that was hoping for a Ralph Sampson, Hakeem Olajuwon take. But it's so interesting when you when you marry this idea that 
everything analog is going to be digitized. That's something that we heard Nigel Morris, who runs QED, mentioned in Chicago. And so the concept of you know digital being a journey, not necessarily a destination when it comes to banks, I think is really important to you know take hold and make sense of because you only can go so far with technology as the team that you have in place. And so if you think about culture and how you've got to get your culture right before you get your operations correct, well, if you get your culture and operations going, then you can start to think about your financial performance. From financial, you can start to satisfy your shareholder and investor base. It kind of falls in line with that old lean startup concept that Eric Reese wrote about, uh, which was all around people, products, performance. So I think it's it's you know really important as we think about the world that we're in right now that we don't try to divorce the technology with the talent because they really are, as you said, Steve, intertwined. Yeah, and I think to us, here's some prescription is you're going to have to buy some talent, transformational talent. So we see our execs out there uh, uh, mixing the gene pool with new people from Google and digital banks and, and uh, other industries, bringing in data scientists. So that's kind of the the free agent buy, but we're also going to have to build more technologists uh, internally. We don't have enough of the market to give us for the next decade. So I see some of my clients starting to take folks from the branches, from the contact center, get them more enfolded into IT and digital. So I think you have to do both on on the talent side. The other thing really important is uh, our Gen Ys and Gen Zs, uh, you know, they're going to shop with places and work at places that represent good corporate value. So we'll talk about that later in ESG. But creating that workplace is how you're going to have the transformational talent to execute on how do we stay relevant. Yeah. So, you know, staying relevant, is, again, is one of those themes that we've heard in the past. We're going to continue to talk about it going forward. But I want to switch from the towers of transformation to this idea that every basis point counts. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, you know, again, we've shared a few cabs recently and we were, you know, brainstorming this idea that if you could save a basis point, you can do some pretty meaningful things. You want to talk a little bit about this concept of every basis point really mattering? Yeah, I like to joke, Al, if we're not having some good arguments in the asset liability and pricing committees right now, we're doing something wrong because this has been a crazy time of volatility in 2022. The budgets we put together last November are obsolete. Uh, and we've seen the, one of the fastest rises ever in short-term rates from the Fed trying to combat inflation. The first six months of the year, we had the worst stock market and the worst bond market in parallel in 50 years. So we're seeing a lot more focus on active balance sheet management and making those bets. And a lot of the profitability of, of the banks uh, going forward is going to be how well can they keep their funding costs in line as, as rates go up, the, uh, the equivocal deposit beta. And what I'm seeing out there, Al, is just people realizing that we've got to be much more disciplined with analytics and pricing and how we look at, uh, you know, the overall balance uh, sheet management and the management of the bank. When there was no cost of money, it was much more operational, much more sales and growth driven. Now you got to dial in that profitability and risk as you looking to grow the bank. Yeah, and I, I uh, warned everyone who is listening that we're going to nerd out about some things. Let me give you some shorthand calculations when it comes to a basis point. Yeah, so a $10 billion bank, a $10 billion bank. is a million bucks. And Al, what would you do with a million bucks if you had it because we'd knocked out another small basis point uh, of net interest margin? Yeah, I'd be looking for some of these digital account opening you know, players that right. you know, probably for one, one and a half million, you could do something really compelling and you can build some you know, new 
you know, gathering opportunities that's going to, again, just make you more relevant and more compelling um, yeah. because you've been able to reduce in some places and redirect to something else. That's it. Yeah. So when people say we, we, we want to change, we just don't have the resources. Well, we've got to bear down and look in every nook and cranny, both of how we actively manage the balance sheet. And then we'll talk about how we actively manage our legacy operations today on the next topic. Yeah. And the next topic is all around performance management. And really, we'll call it just technology performance management. When Steve and I were in Chicago, we were uh, spending some time at Tom Brown's Second Curve CEO retreat. And we were hearing about, you know, kind of the state of fintech and what's going on there. We're, we were hearing about applications of new concepts and investments that people were making to, you know, really create a more holistic digital experience. Um, this is one of those concepts that it sounds kind of catchy, but it, it has so many just nuances to it that I thought we should just dig into technology performance management as we sit here in October, thinking strategically about what the next 18 months could hold. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Al, to me, what comes across, I, I like to say to my clients is up in the C-suites where the power resides oftentimes and the resource allocation, we're in the midst of the, our next M&A deal. We're in the midst of what does credit quality look like? We're in the midst of our budget variances. Are we in the midst of technology and the, and the customer experience, not as much. And so to me, a lot of the next decade is how do we bring more visibility uh, with tech and digital and the client experience into the C-suite so we can allocate resources properly, bring in that transformational talent. And it really is interesting to me how little we really know in banking about how much we spend on technology, about where that tech spend is going, what kind of outcomes are we giving. You and I recently saw Brian Moynihan, the, the CEO of Bank of America, speak. And one thing I love about Moynihan, and I encourage everybody, go out to his uh, you know, quarterly investor decks and see that he ties technology to business outcomes. So he's very proud that recently the consumer bank is originating 50% of its sales through the digital channel. He's very proud that there are more Zelle payments now than checks process. To us, that's how do we start bringing those outcomes for the business and creation of shareholder value to the tech budget, to the portfolio of vendors that we manage inside the bank. Yeah, and I, you know, getting granular, getting gritty, that was something that uh, Mr. Moynihan you know, showed first you know, hands as he talked in really incredible detail about his you know, bank's performance. But, you know, you mentioned payments. There's something on the side that we have to acknowledge. You know, there's some really crazy stuff happening in the world of regulation that's going to impact, you know, the performance of banks and, you know, their income opportunities. You know, can we just take a, a slight detour? Because we're talking technology performance management. You were right in saying we've got to think about business outcomes, not necessarily the activities that we're, you know, chasing after. But, you know, sometimes there's things that happen while you're still going to work every day and it, we're right out on. of your your comfort zone. And all of a sudden we're hearing like, you know, this, you know, um, what is it? Reg two or reg II that's coming right. from the fed. Yeah. We've, uh, we've had, uh, some new rulings on reg II re really related to card, not present transactions and the need for a second network. I won't get technical and geeky here, but, uh, we've got some great experts in Brandy Gregory, uh, Tony DeSanctis and others at Cornerstone who really dig into this all day long. Uh, you have that coupled with an, um, you know, a, a, a bill in Congress related to credit card uh, further regulation of interchange. So definitely, it's under fire, Al, and we encourage our bankers out there to really engage in this stuff. And and more and more, we got to keep maturing up. What is our payment strategy? 
And who are our payments executive and product owners uh, inside the bank? It needs much brighter light than maybe we've had because it's been a nice source of revenue uh, and non-interest income for banks for decades. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked in years past about banks needing a payment strategy. This is just putting Mm -hmm. a light right on the idea that if you're not talking about it, if you're not really understanding where there's opportunity and also risk, you know, you're missing missing a big opportunity. Yeah. All right. So, Steve, we live in this this world, this banking world of ours that's been marked by consolidation. Um, You know, it's just wave after wave. People have talked about this for years. You know, it's a, you know, an eat or be eaten type setup. And that ties into this concept of scaling smart. And so I want to talk mm-hmm. to you a little bit about this because, you know, there haven't been M&A deals struck of late, but we know at some point we're going to start to see some, you know, mergers of equals return. We're going to see some, you know, straight bank on bank <laughs> acquisitions. You're going to see, you know, maybe some specialty, you know, opportunities pursued like we found in, in past years where healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, type organizations were brought into traditional financial institutions. Talk a little bit about this concept of scaling smart. We talked about geeking out on data. So I went to banks today between 5 billion and 50 billion across America, Al, and I looked back at those same banks and said, how big were they a decade ago? And the median was about one third of its size. So these banks have tripled in size over a decade, a combination of organic growth and M&A. But what's interesting is how fast that's been. And so they're getting big very fast. They're getting busier and complex very fast. And I think what's interesting to look at is they've done a good job on their efficiency ratio. They've actually lowered the efficiency ratio during that decade of growth and consolidation. However, I think a lot of that efficiency ratio was that they did bigger lending deals. They leveraged the balance sheet. They had a very nice time of low-cost funding. And so that gave some great revenue lift into the balance sheet. At the same time, I don't know if they matured marketing and digital experience and enterprise risk and analytics at the same pace they grew their balance sheet. And I have a lot of CIOs, COOs out there looking to how do I mature how I operate as a bank now that I I grew so big so fast. And to do that, you've got the old adage, I've got to run the bank while I transform the bank. And I also have to merge the banks that I acquire. So there's almost three paths of work that folks have to do. And uh, it creates a lot of gray hair for the folks in the back office. Uh, and I think what's really important now is how do we apply automation, uh, analytics, process design to do this? There's a bit of catch up to do in this crowd of uh, regional community banks out there. Yeah. And as you're saying that not to be lost is the idea of culture, 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 culture and mm-hmm. culture. Because, you know, as you scale, one of the things that was shared with me a few years ago by the CEO of First Horizon who was in the process of, you know, acquiring Iberia Bank. And just as a tangent, you know, now TD is in the mix. And so it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Is as you grow in size, you become uh, further away from your clients that helped you get to a certain place. So yes, mm-hmm. this is an industry where size and scale absolutely matters, but you also can't lose sight of the fact that you got to maintain your culture, you've got to maintain your identity. And that is a challenge. And, you know, there's the, the numbers that you talked about, there's the efficiency, there's, you know, different ways of thinking about who you want to be, not necessarily who you are. Yeah. And I think as you scale, you know, that's one of those hard conversations that yeah. you know, bank boards in particular have to take count of because, yes, the industry will consolidate. Yes, there will be opportunities to grow, but it's no longer defined by just your geographic reach or presence because your yeah. community is not what you make it. It's not necessarily where you are. 
two things I've seen over the years of a great company, a bank that scales. One, they have a great middle management team. These folks know how to manage change. They know how to build process for scale, not just fight fires. And secondly, you can almost judge how well a, a scaling company is going to do by the relationship between the front office and the back office. If it's viewed as a partnership, it's engaging. There's a lot of uh, compromise and design thinking going on. Great. If it's dysfunctional and antagonistic, you probably have peaked as a franchise. So looking for that real partnership between front and back office as you scale is important. You know, you talk about dysfunction. There is some dysfunction that I note when I walk around Washington. <laughs> and actually, I could, <laughs> a I could cite a lot of things that are dysfunctional uh, in our nation's capital, which is a great place to live. I'm not throwing any shade at a home of 17 years. But it does strike me that this whole concept of ESG has become a political hot potato, which is incredibly disappointing uh, because there's so much opportunity and upside for banks if you could just take the temperature down a little bit. So we think, you know, again, Steve and I, as we've been on the road and we've been talking about these different issues that, you know, are front and center for folks, it would be unfair not to acknowledge that elephant in the room. ESG, whether you like the concept or not, it has become such a political, you know, issue. I think we've got to depoliticize how we approach this. And Steve, I, I think you said it best uh, as we prepared for today's pod. Yeah, well, you know, one thing I think that I'd be happy to report, because I go board meeting to board meeting, town to town, uh, I think the sincerity out there among the banking and credit union industries even is sky high. This is not being viewed by the board or management as a check the box, as a compliance, as an eye roll. There is a sincerity like, how can we really have impact? And for a lot of regional community banks, this has been in their DNA for some time. They're just trying to understand, you know, how do I start to really build, build this into how do I show impact to all stakeholders, not just shareholders? You know, Al, I think what everybody's a little worried about is, is if it gets too brittle in terms of technocracy, I've got to meet these very specific check the box requirements, and that's going to define how good of a corporate citizen is versus how can we really, you know, show that meaningful impact. Uh, and I, I think there's a real opportunity out there. But what I'm most encouraged by is I see executives wanting greater diversity. I see executives wanting to show more community impact. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's becoming less antagonistic, the uh, community benefits agreement, and more so bringing in some folks of different perspectives to say, let's really show some impact. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think, you know, keeping anything from becoming brittle should be a job of a leader. You know, you want to have flexibility. You want to have the ability to bring in diverse thoughts and perspectives. We've yeah. seen repeatedly that, you know, when you have a diverse leadership team, you have better financial results than your peers that don't have that same level of diversity. So it's not just a feel-good exercise. It's something that can, again, strengthen your business. It can position you to be more attractive to the communities that you serve. And again, we just think if we can take the temperature down just a little bit, you know, there is great opportunity for us to have some really cool conversations. So, yeah. okay, we've hit on five things. And I think we might have time for a quick bonus round uh, if, if you're game. What do you think? Quick bonus round? I'm game. What is it? What's the bonus round? Get All your right. Rate. So, so no, it, it's, you know, it's becoming more and more clear that, you know, if all you've ever done is all you'll ever do, then all you'll ever get is all you've ever gotten. It's one of those old uh, cliches that rings so true right now. There's three things that we find um, that aren't necessarily working that six months ago people were really excited about. First one is crypto. 
Second is buy now, pay later. And the third one is all around this whiz-bang, artificial intelligence and machine learning stuff. So, you know, those are three things that I, I don't think we want to sleep on, but I think we can kind of move them back a little bit uh, in the conversation queue. Is there anything else, Steve, that you think you've heard that people need to continue to prize, not necessarily to, you know, put aside? Yeah, that's a great question. I just, I, I think on all those things you just mentioned, the discipline we need as bankers is don't just poo-poo them as competition that has funding today or doesn't tomorrow or has issues today or not. I think it's what are the use case blueprints that these entrepreneurs are showing? They're trying to build better mousetraps and we should always be looking at those blueprints. So in the case of buy now, pay later, point of sale is not going to go away. Um, some degree of convenience uh, at the point of sale. So we have to use that as a blueprint. For crypto, I think the horse is out of the barn door and we're going to enter the era of regulation uh, of crypto. And um, and obviously, you know, it will it will continue to be part of it, but it does give us a chance to play the long game, not to panic on those things. What strikes me loud and clear, though, Al, as we sit here this morning, uh, our digital experience when it comes to a storefront, how we generate loans, mortgage, consumer, small business, how we open deposit accounts, how we onboard new customers and engage them in self-service that's not just check my balance. It's replace a card, do something with a beneficiary. There is so much efficiency still to gain in how we do digital sales and digital engagement that I can't understand why we're not all hands on deck getting that done over the next few years because that's a no regrets investment and it's a no regrets capability to have. And we all have eh, C, B minus experiences today. Well, no regrets on my end for spending a little bit of time talking with you, Steve. This is fun. This is the first of many plugins that we're going to do. We invite you to take a listen, bookmark, share with your friends. Again, I'm Al Dominic. He's Steve Williams. We appreciate you taking the time to get plugged in with Cornerstone Advisors. Thanks so much, Al. 